So my first ever international trip was a while ago. My first ever international trip was a trip to Italy. Uh, and I, I remember it quite well. Uh, everything was pretty foreign. Everything was foreign. Uh, there was foreign language, foreign customs, the you know, foreign time, and especially uh, foreign food. Now, I was younger back then, and I, I was pretty picky about my food. I was a, I was a husky kid, and I ate well, but I, I like... I, I was pretty picky about my food at the time, and, and so you'd go to these Italian restaurants, and I really didn't like their type of Italian food. It wasn't the Olive Garden, right? It was, it was a little different, uh, and I, so I just didn't eat really well, really well, and you order a Coke, and they'd give it to you lukewarm without any ice. Uh, I don't know what's up with those European people, but they don't, I, don't, I don't think they get it, uh, and so three or four days in, I'm walking down the street with our group, and all of a sudden, I see it, and I'm like, I recognize that, and it's the beautiful Golden Arches. And I remember running as it was like three o'clock in the afternoon, not even time for lunch, but I'm just darting towards this place. I'm like, yes, McDonald's, I reckon. And I walk in, you're just like, smells like fat America, you know? And, and it's, it's, this is this, I remember, and I order my, 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 they understood I wanted a double quarter pounder with cheese and I got it and it tastes the same and a Coke with ice. It was glorious, Right. And I, I recognized it. And what I remember from it is it felt like home. I was in a foreign country, but it felt like home. This is something that I recognized. These are foods and smells and, and these things that I recognized. I had the same experience a couple, just a year or so ago when we went to Nairobi, Kenya in Africa. And uh, we're driving around this city, this huge city, uh, with, with our missionary friend. And uh, he's showing us around. And it's pretty dirty, and there's a lot of poverty, and the customs and language are very different. People are walking everywhere, and the drivers are nuts. And so it's just a very different culture over there. And, uh, and so we're driving around, and all of a sudden we're driving by this huge 12-foot-tall wall with barbed wire on the top of it. And we're kind of wondering. It's huge. It's massive. And we're driving by, and, and the missionary said, Uh, On the other side of that wall is the United States of America. And we're like, what? And he said, yeah, over on the other side of that wall is the United States Embassy for Kenya. And so, and, and he, you know, he drove real slow, and, and they have these huge gates that you can see through. And so while, while we're driving through, I look in, we didn't go inside, but like I drive through, and we go past the gates, and I look inside, and inside it looked like America. Like it, you, this, it had American homes, it had American businesses, American trees, American grass, American flowers, everything inside. You know, and I wanted, and, I, and there was a moment, we weren't going to go inside, but there was a moment where I kind of like, I want to go inside just so I can have this moment where it felt like home. I want to go and breathe my own air and, and be at home for that moment. And, and so I, I think that there's times in our life where... Um, where, where that happens. If you've, ever, if you've ever been overseas, you've probably had that same experience. And you come back and you maybe you go past the customs agent, you hand them their passport, and they, this really kind of stout person that probably says this a thousand times a day, but you give, them your, uh, you give them your passport and they give it back to you and they say, welcome home, right? And, it, and I don't know, like you kind of want to tear up at that moment, right? It depends on how long you've been gone. But like, I, I do feel home at this point. Even if you've never had that experience, I'm sure that you've been away from home for some amount of time, and you come back, and you just want to be sitting in your own couch and laying in your own bed. And, and maybe after a long day at work, it's just, I just want to go home. I mean, home is where I can take my pants off and not get in trouble. You know, like, it's, it's okay. Like, it just feels better, right? Now, on a much deeper level, on a much deeper level than all that stuff, 
I think there are times where we never feel very satisfied in the world around us, even at home. There, there are moments in our life where we struggle with the tension of, it, I'm ne- like, no matter what I buy, no matter what I get, no matter what I consume, I'm just never fully satisfied. It never feels like I'm at home, and everything is in a state of unrest. I'm struggling with anxiety. There's probably people all over this room that struggle with anxiety, with fear, with social anxiety. And you, and you kind of look, and you watch the news, and you're like, is our country falling apart? Like, what's, it, it feels like things are gripping at the seams. And there's just this constant state of unrest. And every day, we are longing for home. And we wonder, is this it? Is this all there is? Is this life all that exists for me? Because it seems to me like it's kind of unsatisfying. C.S. Lewis, a famous uh, philosopher, Christian theologian, Uh, said this, and I'll put it up on the screens for you. And he put it this way. If I find myself, if I find find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. Is it possible that the reason why we struggle and walk through this life always consistently unsatisfied, is it simply that we're not home? Is it possible that we were made for a different world than this? Or is this all there is? And I think the scriptures will help us with this, to know if this isn't home, if this isn't all there is, then what is out there? Is there something, like Lewis said, are we made for a different world? So you have a Bible. uh, Grab your phone. That's okay. You can have a a Bible on your phone. Uh, If you download the YouVersion app of the Bible, the YouVersion app of the Bible, uh, you can can read the scripture there all the time. Uh, But but our notes, if you go under live events, I will also have my notes in there that you can read and easily take added notes if you would like to, and it kind of follows along the scripture pretty easily. Uh, So if you go under... uh, Live events, and you click on the Church of Cane Bay, uh, it should be there. Uh, now, we have the Church of so what I want you to do is, in your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 1, the book of Acts chapter 1. Uh, and now, the, the book of Acts is a narrative about what happened with the early church after Jesus uh, was, died and resurrected. We believe at the Church of Cane Bay that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, uh, came to earth to be live amongst us and he lived sinlessly and that he was then uh, innocently killed on a cross for our sins in our place and then three days later he resurrected uh, and then he spent 40 days on this earth teaching and preaching uh, to his disciples and all those who would hear and so in Acts chapter 1 in Acts chapter 1 it kind of gives us a very important verse in verse 3 as to what he was teaching. Now, okay, most of the time in the, in, the, in, the, in the movies about Jesus, if you've ever seen a movie about Jesus, the vast majority of the movie is it starts with his birth and it walks through his ministry, certainly has a longer part detailing his death and then, and then his resurrection. But as soon as the resurrection happens, usually the movie ends like two or three minutes later. But 
Think about this for a second. Jesus resurrected from the grave three days after his death, and then he was on earth for 40 days. That's almost six weeks, people. That's a long time for somebody who just died to be around, right? If you, had, if you knew in your mind that you had 40 days to live, what would you talk about? You'd probably talk about some very primary focused things. I'm only going to have very intentional conversation if I'm going to only have 40 days left on this planet to talk to my family and friends. The question is, what did Jesus care about? What did he want to talk about? And I think we'll get our answer to this quandary right here in Acts chapter 1. Verse 3. He, meaning Jesus, presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing them to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. If you've got, a, if you got a, a phone or if you got a, a pen, go ahead and circle that. He spoke about the kingdom of God. Now, that would be kind of coincidental if you didn't know the end of Acts. So if you go to Acts 28, the very last verses in Acts, the book of Acts, Chapter 28, and you go to the very last two verses. Now, this is going to concern the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, he talked about a lot of things. He talked about church. He talked about uh, men and women and marriage and all sorts. He covered a lot of different ground. But in Acts 28, we find him in Rome at the final destination of his missionary journeys. He's old. He's about to be put to death. And he's got a few days, I'm not, we're not really sure, he's got a few months left to teach his disciples that would come and listen to him teach, what is he going to talk about? Verse 30 and 31 of Acts 28, last two verses. He lived there two whole years, well there he goes, two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming what? The kingdom of God. And teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Is it coincidence that Jesus, his last stuff on earth, 40 days, he's going to talk about the kingdom of God? Then you have the Apostle Paul, the guy who wrote most of the New Testament, he comes along and he's going to teach about the kingdom of God. It probably bodes well for us that we kind of concentrate on the kingdom of God. Now what's interesting, another point, so Jesus... You would think that church is important to Jesus, and church church is definitely important for Jesus. He died for the church. Jesus talked about the church twice, twice in his ministry, twice. He talked about the kingdom 121 times. I'm not saying the church isn't important, but I think if you look at it, if you look at the numbers, I think Jesus cared about the kingdom a whole lot more. Now, the question for us is, do we even get that? Because we struggle through the, this whole idea of kingdom. What does that even mean? Number one, I mean, we, we, we don't think about kingdom because we don't live in a kingdom. We live in a uh, democratic republic. Right? Don't get freaked out. I just said democrat. Okay? Like, I, it's a democratic republic, people. That's what it's called. Okay? Uh, and so... Um, and so we, we live in, we elect officials to be our leaders, and that's how this country functions. We don't have a king, we never have. So it's hard for us to get this idea of a kingdom. Also, we don't see the king. If you've seen Jesus, let me know. I want to have a conversation with you, okay? 
but we don't see the king. We've never lived in a kingdom. We don't see the king. And it just simply doesn't feel like we live in a kingdom. So it's very hard for us to even understand the idea of kingdom. So we don't even talk about it. We don't talk about this idea of the kingdom of God. But yet Jesus talked about it in those last 40 days on earth. He talked about it through his whole ministry. And then Paul ends his life talking about the kingdom of God. I think it's pretty important. And so as we're thinking about this, we have these feelings of not being a part of this world. We feel like we're unsatisfied in our world. Our emotions of anxiety and fear and chaos. And we have these emotions of discomfort. The good news is, is that, yes, C.S. Lewis was right. That if there is something within me that is dissatisfied, it means that we were made for another world. And that world is not a country, but it's a kingdom. Here's the big news. You were not made to live in a country. You were made to live in a kingdom. And it is our goal to understand that, to wonder what that is. So I want to define it for you because I think it's sometimes a little bit ethereal. I think it's a little bit indescribable. What does it mean to have the kingdom of God? All right, so I'll put it up on the screen. Here's what the kingdom of God is. What everything looks like when King Jesus has his way. I'll read it again. What everything looks like when King Jesus has his way. Notice I said everything. Not just people, everything. The kingdom of God is far reaching to every corner of the universe. And the kingdom of God is what everything looks like when a loving, benevolent, artistic, perfect creator has everything his way. What does that look like? And that's a good question. And so we're going to be looking through over the next couple of weeks, and I hope that you guys uh, will, will come back next week as we look at, continue to look at the kingdom. But we're going to dive deep into what does it mean to live in a kingdom? What are the advantages? What are we supposed to do? What, is that, what does life look like in a kingdom? But first, we're, we're going to look at three realities. So if you've got, if you've got your Bibles, Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55. So turn back to the Old Testament, right in the middle of your Bibles. If you get to Psalms, turn right, okay? Uh, Isaiah 55. Now, Isaiah was a prophet, a prophet of the Lord, one of the more important ones. And, uh, and so he, he was a major prophet. And most of the time, prophets preached about and taught about what was happening presently at their time. That's the vast majority of what they were talking about. However, there were times, and as we think about what a prophet is, we think about somebody who looks into the future. And so Isaiah 55 is a time where Isaiah is, is being given a vision of what's going to happen in the future. And he's given a vision of what the kingdom of God looks like. And so I'm going to give you, if you're taking notes, three realities of the kingdom of God. Three realities of the kingdom of God. But let's first read the scripture, Isaiah 55, verse 1. Here we go. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Okay, here's the first reality of the kingdom that I want you to get. The first reality of the kingdom is the kingdom is upside down. The kingdom is upside down. This is an invitation. He says, come, 
come to me. I desire for you to come. I want to accept you into my kingdom. And what does he say? I want you to buy. I want you to buy, but then he says, but you don't have any money. How does that work? The kingdom doesn't work like our world works. Our world is a quid pro quo world. You do this for me, I give you that. You do that for me, I give you this. That's how our world works. That's how the economy works, but not in the kingdom. The kingdom of God is very different. It is upside down. You come and you get whatever you need, whatever you want, without money, without price. It is a completely upside down kingdom. And you might look at that, look at that and say, listen, I know, how, I know how economy works. Like, there is no such thing as a free lunch. Somebody has to pay for that. And that's true. When Isaiah is looking off into the future and it says, come by without money or without price, because he's realizing that we have nothing that we could give God. But who did pay the price? Jesus Christ gave his life as a payment for all of our debt. And everything that we could ever need, Jesus did enough to pay our debt. And so when it says, you don't need any money, it's true, because Jesus paid it all for you. You don't need anything. It's an upside-down economy because somebody has already paid for it for you. And Jesus is all that we need. It also says that life, verse 3, that life doesn't come by doing, it comes by hearing. It says, listen, listen diligently that you might live. We always think that it's necessary for God. If God's going to accept us, if God is going to love us, then we have to do enough good things to outweigh our bad things so that God will love us. If you've ever thought that, and I'm going to take a chance here, if you've ever thought, I need to do enough good stuff to outweigh my bad stuff so God will love me, go ahead and raise your hand. Go ahead and do it. All right. A lot of people. I've thought that same exact thing. God, I, okay, I did three or four good things today. I only did a couple bad things today, so I'm, ho- I'm hoping that we're still friends. I'm hoping that when I die that you'll still say, okay. But that is not how it works at all. He says, listen diligently to me. Listen to the words of my mouth so that you might live. It has nothing to do with what we do. There is nothing. In fact, the Bible tells us there is nothing that we do to receive the grace of God. In fact, that would take away from the the idea of grace, that he just gives it freely to us. We listen and we accept it. And we can't say, hey, God, this is what I've done. Look at what I've done. And he's just saying, I don't care. Look at what I've done. What I've done is so much grander than what you have done. So just listen. Just listen to me you might have life. So the kingdom is upside down. Secondly, the kingdom is near. The kingdom is near. Verse six, skip down to verse six. It says this. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Another way of saying this, theologians will say this, that the kingdom of God is already, that is already here. When Jesus was walking the earth, he consistently talked about the kingdom 121 times. I told you that. And he taught his followers about the kingdom of God. And what he told them, and we'll, we'll look at this, you don't have to turn there, but it'll be, it'll be up on the screens. Matthew chapter 10, 7 and 8. It'll be up on the screen. We'll read it just for a second. Jesus commissions his disciples. And what does he commission them to do? And he says, and proclaim as you go saying, what? 
The kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. And he says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You receive without paying, give without joy. And so he's, he's sending people out to cleanse lepers, to heal the sick, to preach the kingdom of God. And we get these glimpses of the kingdom. And so when we read in the Bible and we read the, the, the miracles of Jesus, how he rose people from the dead, how he healed sick people, how he made food out of nowhere, and we might call those miracles, Jesus calls them Tuesday. It's the kingdom of God. This is what happens every day in the kingdom. They're not miracles to Jesus. This is every day. And that is our future. Because there is no sickness in the kingdom. There's no death in the kingdom. There's no poverty in the kingdom. There's no hunger in the kingdom. There's no guilt in the kingdom. There's no shame in the kingdom. And so we, as a people of God, who are sent in commission to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cleanse the lepers, to feed the poor, we then take the kingdom with us wherever we go. And so Isaiah is right when he says the kingdom is near, the kingdom is here. And so when we, as the church of Cane Bay, we, uh, this is why we take care of orphans. This is why we feed the hungry. This is why we educate children. This is why we take care of single parents. This is why we want to make sure that the teachers at the schools are taken care of. Because we're just doing the work of the kingdom. We're trying to shed light into a lost and dark world saying, this isn't the way that it's supposed to be. This was never the way the darkness and the sinful world that is out there. That's not the way that God designed it. And so we believe that we're made for a different world. And so we're going to take the values and the principles of the kingdom into our lost world and say, this is the way that it's supposed to be. And what we are as a church is we are an embassy for the kingdom. We are an outpost for the kingdom of God. It is near and it is, at home. It is, it is here. It's ready to go. It's already and so when we step into this place, it's not a building. It's an embassy. It's a place where the kingdom of God reigns. And when people walk into this place, my hope is that they don't feel shame because there is no shame in the kingdom of God. My hope is that they feel healed and reconciled with God because there is no brokenness in the kingdom of God. My hope is that they feel peace because there is no chaos in the kingdom of God. And when we take all of that, and we'll talk about this in a couple weeks, so I don't want to ruin it, but when we take the kingdom, it's not as if we have a wall around us and you have to come in this place in order to see the kingdom of God. That's not how it works. When we go outside of these walls, we take the kingdom of God with us to our homes and our tables and our workplaces and our desks and wherever you might meet with people and talk with people, you take the kingdom of God with you. Our missional communities, um, if you're new to our church, we have these groups that are called missional communities. And uh, maybe they're more appropriately named kingdom outposts, but that's just confusing. So we go with missional communities. They're communities of people, small groups of people that are on a specific mission for God. And so my hope is the second week of January, we're going to have, they'll, they'll start all new again. I hope that you'll join one. Uh, and what they're doing is they're, all they're doing is bringing the kingdom work and putting it on display for all to see. So the kingdom is upside down, and the kingdom is near. Last one, the kingdom is not yet finished. So it's already, and it is not yet. It is not yet finished. And you might be looking around. If you look out, you're looking around the world, and like, wow, it is really dark out there. 
There's a lot of sin. There's a lot of corruption. There's a lot of problems. And that's the reason why is because the kingdom is not fully here yet. So it's here, yes, but then it's not fully here yet. But Isaiah gives us a picture of what that might look like. Verse 12 and 13, Isaiah 55. Look at your scripture. It says this. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. There is a day that is coming where everything will be made right and new. Where there is no death, there is no more pain, no more war, no politics, no babies dying in the womb, no devastating storms, nobody's orphaned, every relationship is mended, and there's no more suicide, there's no more addiction, there's no more abuse. There is only beauty, life, artistry, fun. Fun. Heaven's going to be fun. It's going to be great. It's going to be a great time where the, where the creator is allowed, unen, unencumbered to do everything that he wants to do. And nature itself is, allow, is, is then able to celebrate what God the creator has made them to be. But we're not there yet. And so we live in this world with kingdom outposts. Now in the new world, there is no more kingdom outposts. Why? Because everything is the kingdom. Everything that we will encounter. And so the question for you specifically, I know I was up in the clouds a little bit, but I want to come down to the ground for a second. Let me just get me here. The question for you specifically is, are you unsatisfied with the world as it is, with your world as it is? Are you unsatisfied with it? Do you constantly feel like it's, you're never home I was listening to an interview with uh, Tom Brady, the uh, famous quarterback from the uh, New England Patriots. And they were interviewing him after his last Super Bowl victory. And the, the uh, journalist asked him, Tom, how many, how many Super Bowls are enough? I, I don't know how many he's won, like eight. I don't know. Uh, but he's won a ton of them. And, uh, and how many Super Bowls is enough? His answer was, one more. It gave you a glimpse into his soul. He's at the top of his game. He's made millions upon millions of dollars. He has everything that he could ever want and still not satisfied. Are you unsatisfied with the world around you, with the way things are? Are you tired of trying to make it on your own? Are you, try, are you tired of feeling guilty? Are you, tr- are you tired of trying to buy everything to satisfy your life? And it's just simply not working. Now, I have to give you an apology because it's possible that you walked in this place today because somebody invited you here and said, I want you to come to this new church, this new building and there was some under, underlying idea that this new church and this new building is going to somehow be satisfying for you. They lied. <laughs> and so I have to apologize because there's no church and no building that's ever going to satisfy you. 
Now, they might have taken a step further and they might have said, you know what you need is you need a relationship with Jesus. And that is true. It's not all the way, though. They didn't give you the entire picture. Yes, you absolutely need a relationship with Jesus Christ to save you from your sins for all of eternity. You absolutely need that. But that's not all there is. I have to apologize because we don't talk about this invitation enough. Yes, I want to invite you to a relationship with Jesus. But more than that, I want to invite you to become a kingdom of the citizen of a kingdom citizen of the kingdom of God. Because when you get the king, you become a child of God, and if you're a child of God, you inherit the whole kingdom. And so sometimes our efforts at telling people what church is all about and what Jesus is all about is woefully inadequate. We tell them, yes, you get the king, and then we, then, we, then we just step back and say, yeah, you get Jesus. But we don't talk about everything that comes along with that. And so I want to invite you now, yes, to a relationship with Jesus, but to step into a, to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. And we're going to continue to talk about this over the next couple minutes and walk with you. What does it mean? What advantages are there? Next week, we're going to talk about what advantages are there to being a kingdom citizen? What does that even mean? Next week after that, we're going to talk about what does it mean for us to take the kingdom of God outside of these walls, and what are we supposed to do with that? And I want you guys to join us for that. Now, I want you to notice something about this invitation. I want to invite you to become a citizen of the kingdom of God. Yes, through a relationship with Jesus, but I want you to notice something in Isaiah chapter 55, Verse 6. Go ahead and look at that real quick. It's going to be, right, verse 6. It says this. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Now, inherent in this verse is a timeline. This invitation is not forever. This invitation has an expiration There is a time limit to this invitation. And that time limit for you and I is a lifetime. We only have our lifetime to respond to the kingdom of God. And once our life is done, our chance to become a kingdom citizen is over. And for most of us in this room, it's going to be when we're 70, 80, 90 years old that we will will end our life on this planet And if we haven't become a kingdom citizen by responding to our relationship with Jesus Christ, then the Bible is quite clear that we spend the rest of eternity in damnation in a place called hell. And so my hope for you is you won't think about when you're 70, 80, or 90 because you can walk out of this place, get in your car, go on 176 where we know there's a thousand accidents a day, and you could perish right there on that road. And if you haven't made a decision to become a kingdom citizen, to ask Jesus Christ to save you from your sins, then you will not spend the rest of eternity in the kingdom of God. And so my hope for you is that you will respond to that. So here's the deal. I want to pray with you about that. We're going to stand up here in a second. We're going to sing a song. And what I want you to do is I want you to get up out of your seat, move back to the back of the room, into that back corner right there, and we'll be able to take you to a place where we can pray with you, talk with you more about our relationship with God because I want you to become a citizen of the kingdom where you are accepted, loved, and every part of you is able to able then to celebrate and you walk into this place reconciled. So, let's pray together.
Father, there are people in this room that are not citizens of the kingdom. And so, God, I pray that you would move in their heart and then in their life right now. That they would desire, they, don't, they might not even know all the answers, but they know that they need to respond to that. So, God, I ask that you would move them. That you would move inside of their heart to make them move their feet. That they might be able to come and have a conversation about what it looks like to be a Christian. That they can walk out of this place redeemed and reconciled with you that they would be able to walk and talk with you. And most of all, that they would know that their eternity is secured in the kingdom of God and that they are your child. So God, I pray for those who really need that this morning and that you would move them to respond. God, thank you for a great morning. It's been a privilege to be a part of of just a fun day another day in your kingdom. Uh, You have been so gracious to us, Father. Thank you for the goodness and the grace of what you've done.